This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm back home from the Toronto International Film Festival. It's still ongoing as you hear this and as I record this, but I'm home. I'm recovering from seeing 18 movies in five days, which is kind of the best kind of craziness to endure. Um, And while I was in Toronto, I caught up with Richard Lawson and Mike Hogan and then uh, returning guest Cam Collins to talk about everything that we'd seen. We were sitting in uh, Vanity Fair's video studio where, you know, they were recording all these video interviews with all these big stars. They very graciously let us use it. And we talked about Joker being the big winner of the Venice Film Festival, which, as we talked, had not yet premiered at TIFF, but also came to that festival. We talked about Ryan Johnson's film Knives Out, which is a huge crowd pleaser that performed there. We talked about the film Ways, which premiered at Telluride and kind of got a lot of critics arguing with each other, which is a very fun thing to happen at film festivals. Uh, We talked about Marriage Story, which played at Venice and uh, premiered at TIFF as well and really got a lot of buzz going for Adam Driver. It's impossible to talk about everything at Toronto in a single episode, so we'll definitely be back next week to catch up on things like the audience award winner. Uh, But in the meantime, listen to us discuss everything that's going on. And then in the second half of the episode, I'll share an interview that I did with Destin Daniel Cretton, whose films Just Mercy premiered at Toronto on Friday night, a big splashy spot. Uh, It stars Michael B. Jordan playing uh, this real life lawyer, Brian Stevenson, who has worked to free people on death row in Alabama and has this really great supporting term by Jamie Foxx, who's playing a man who's on death row, who Brian Stevenson is defending. I had caught up with him on the phone. He was back in New York and I was still in Toronto. It was a funny way of talking to somebody. But it was really interesting kind of watching him feeling this emotional power of being in his premiere and then um, hearing what he had to say about it. So we'll listen to that as well. Okay, to start with, I feel like we should go before Toronto. Richard, you were at the Venice Film Festival. Joker won Venice mm-hmm. after you left. Yeah. You, you, were, you were powerless to stop it. Yeah, che cosi serio, <laughs> Italia. Uh, yeah, it won Venice, which is insane, the Golden Lion Prize. And I don't know what that means other than jury president Lucretia Martel just wants to watch the world burn. <laughs> you know? like that's what's happening. I mean, you liked the movie at Venice. It's well made. Yeah. I just think it might be an agent of evil in the world. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but, you know, it, I think the other thing is it does give that, an award like that that probably the rabbit fan boys don't give a shit about what wins Venice any other year, but now it gives them more further armor to be like, well, see, see, yeah. you know, any but, critic like Stephanie Zakarik is wrong. But that, you know, oh, for God, no, are, yeah. are you genuinely worried that it has some kind of like doom, uh, I don't know, like Evil some power. kind of like, like power over young people to make them more likely to do horrible things? Well, we've already had one mass shooting where someone dressed up as the previous Joker. Yes. Uh, and I think that the problem with this movie, even more than Dark Knight, way more than Dark Knight, is that I just can't tell if it's a warning about this guy or a kind of weird celebration of him. And I think that the way that I can't tell is reason enough to think that people will take what they want from the movie. And the wrong people could take the very, a very wrong message Which from Which arguably, this, this yeah. is an interesting time we live in because arguably that makes it good art, right? That yeah. it's not like a simple message. It's like, right. oh yeah, it's complicated like yeah. life. But it is when you're talking about a zillion dollar blockbuster that's designed as a piece of entertainment, it does, ra- I think we're all becoming more conscious of these issues of like, what does this thing do in the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, this is, this is a largely, f- uh, you know, it's an un-American jury in a non-American festival. And they have gun control, they're, so they're, they're like, they're, give it the, give it the exactly. line. Exactly, they're not as, as sensitive to this, you know. So you and and what they saw was what you just said. It was the, it was the artfulness of the filmmaking of the performances, and that is certainly there. I can't argue that. Yeah, it premieres here on Monday after we're recording this. So I'm very curious about what the like broader reception in Toronto because like Toronto has bigger audiences. Like it could go over really well, or there could like the pushback could start because I think at Venice it's not quite enough people talking about it to like 
start a wave of discussion the way yeah. that it does from here. Well, there will be many waves of discussion about this. I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I, there's going to be a, a, another discourse round when the movie premieres here, another, and you know, when it opens wide, and and then when it wins all the Oscars. We'll, okay, yeah, so we're going to talk about Joker forever. <laughs> all right, so Cam, we should talk to you because you have to go <laughs> soon. Um, I think I want to hear most from you about Waves, which is sure. a movie that was at Telluride, but you didn't see it at Telluride, right? Right. Yeah, uh, so... It came out of Telluride with a lot of really positive buzz, it seemed like, and then it premiered here to a different reception, I think. It's interesting. So, yes, that would seem to be, like, the broader arc. But, you know, at Telluride, there were there were dissenting voices. They weren't critics or they weren't, you know, assigned to write on it. But I'd been hearing, I'd been hearing mixed things, you know, since it premiered there, which is exciting to me. I kind of like it when a movie hits people in really different ways. Mm-hmm. And Telluride is just a festival where everyone talks shit about the things they saw. So it's great. <laughs> you, just, you just listen to everyone talking about movies all the time. And this was a movie that I, I heard a, a wide range of things about. And I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about as well. But I, I up front, like, I, I just, I admire the balls of it, I think. You know, I, and I, I admire a studio like A24 kind of nurturing younger filmmakers who want to do strange, big Things there's something about indie filmmaking that just feels we like we nurture the small tiny stuff or the very domestic stuff or you know like a movie like this I don't I don't know how it play at Sundance it's very abrasive. Well, uh, yeah, we so it's Trey Edward Schultz who made um, Krisha and then the, it comes, it, it comes, it comes at night. At night. Yeah. Um, and this is his third movie. A twenty four is releasing it later this year. It's like very stylish. It's about high schoolers. Like you want to sum up like what's the the divisive part of it. Because it's, you know, it's an everything, it's everything that happens in high school movies. So there's prom, there's pregnancy, there's oxy addiction, there's a ruined star athlete's life, there's domestic violence, there's moms who OD'd, there's a dad dying of cancer, there is a soundtrack. I don't, I'm laughing there is because, a nice like, romance, too. There, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a nice romance. Lucas Hedges is a nice boy. It's very important. Yes, Lucas Hedges plays the nice boy. So <laughs> when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, this is Moonlight meets This Is Us, and I don't know if I want to see it. So I is that... I think that's wrong. Is that, like, kind of round? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's weird. It, it's like, if, you, if you've seen Moonlight, you know, at least once, but probably more than once for many people, like myself, just, like, you know a lot of the camera moves in it mm-hmm. you know like the the way it's also a Miami movie so it makes Miami look the same there are moments where people are in the water and you're thinking okay a24 release moonlight right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or like, like really bold colors like I guess the question is are these in the same cinematic universe but in this movie I think the interesting thing is that it is much more aware of the way that young people use phones mm. and Instagram and keep up with each other that way, the way that things spread in that way. It's like, it's not the plot of the movie, but it's a thing that comes up because as you're hitting all these music cues, that's the other thing. <laughs> like the music licensing in this movie, there's Kanye, there's Radiohead, there's Animal Collective. Very and expensive music. Right, and then there's and then there's Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross doing their thing and making it all kind of seamless. So it is, it just feels like a single long, loud soundtrack. That very oh, now I think I might like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, sounds good. Well, you know, it depends. I think for yeah. sure. Yes, I mean, I, I would encourage everyone to see it um, because I think it's I think it's interesting, and I think I think it's trying things. It changes aspect ratio. It's split in two halves, and the two halves are doing different things. Are very tonally different, but ultimately, I just felt like a lot was going on, but the story itself felt a little after school to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I, I said it was kind of like a beautifully shot. Lifetime movie from 1998 about what it's about. You know what I mean? Like, like, right. like the the drama, the melodrama at the core of the movie is pretty simple, yeah. and we've seen it before. And I think that in a weird way, all the high style of the movie, which is certainly a technical accomplishment, only further highlights the lack of the writing and and the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's tricky because like a moon a movie like Moonlight feels simple too, but. That movie has these large ellipses where things happen that you you know you, you think about the way that a person changes over the course of that movie because you're seeing someone at three stages of their life. So there's things that you're doing as an audience that are supplementing the movie, and so the things that seem simple about that movie are are they wind up being pretty profound for the people who like it. Whereas for this, it's 
you know, there there is the point where you find out that a character's mom OD'd, and it's it's late enough in the movie where you're thinking, are we still adding? Yes. Are we still? Yeah. Are we still? Like, I didn't know that your your mom OD'd. Your your brother's also, you know, in prison and all these things. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's it's a lot. If you look carefully in the background, you can see a kitchen sink literally flying, <laughs> yeah. flying right. to frame. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. So it's a uh, it's, it's a movie that I'm curious what people think of it, and I, I think it's actually kind of exciting that it's divisive because it's. It's not trying to please all of us, and I, I admire that about it. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think that it's uh, a case where I'm interested to see what he does next. I've felt this way since his first movie. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's clearly 30. got, like, support, you know, like, A24 is backing his films. Right. Like, we're going to be seeing a lot from this guy. And he's, like, early, early 30s, so. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I know, very Sorry. accomplished. Uh, all right, so you were short on time. What else are you dying to talk about? Um, what else You're working on the Dolomite is my name review right now. Yes. You want to like give us a pre? Well, by the time this runs, it will be out there. So be, is Eddie Murphy Oscar eligible? I mean, like, is he like a contender? Do you think? I think that he would be a contender, but in the way that contend being a contender is not always related to the performance, but it's like the right match of performer, performance, year, history with the Academy, etc. I think it's a good contender in that way. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if I were going to give Eddie Murphy an Oscar, it'd be for the, like, the things that the Academy would have called bullshit that I think are really <laughs> right, exciting, like right. coming to America, yeah. uh, you know, like those virtuosic playing multiple people in a movie roles. Like, Nutty Professor, I think, is, like, crazy comic acting. It's not an Oscar movie. Um, and this is more of an Oscar movie. It's by Craig Brewer, whose movie Hustle & Flow got Terrence Howard his first Oscar nomination. And, and won 3-6 Mafia, best song Oscar. Wow, I forgot never, about never, that. Oh my god. That's what One of the forget. best Oscar moments of all time. That was the bigger deal, actually. Ooh, that yeah. Was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, yeah. Um, wow, does this movie have a song like that? It doesn't. And so, it put Taraji Henson on the map. Uh, yes. And it put Taraji yeah. Henson yeah. on the map. Yeah. yeah, and those are great, those are great performances. And that was like, you know, it was like grittier. Um, and it, it because it was a story that you knew, but not about a person that you knew. I think that they just they could explore things a little bit more loosely. Mm -hmm. And then this is it, it's pretty tight. It's pretty it's pretty the narrative of the kind of comeback story, which is very meta, mm -hmm. is is pretty tightly kind of imposed onto Eddie Murphy, and he does a very good job. And I think the cast is great. I mean, I think Snoop Dogg has a small but delightful. Because um, Snoop Dogg has essentially said this persona would never exist were it not for Dolomite. Right. Yeah, which, is, right. which is interesting to think, consider that history. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Dolomite persona is like so foundational to hip hop. If there's one thing that I think the movie is too coy about, it's it's putting its finger on why do we still talk about Rudy Ray more? It's it's because it's because like hip hop godfathers have called him the godfather of rap. Oh, but don't you think you, like so? There's a like title line at the end that says there like, is. literally that. But I feel like you see it in his performances. You watch him rhyming you on do. stage. You watch that well, rhythm, and you're like, okay, I see. I know when this is taking place. I know when hip hop comes out. Like you can kind of connect the dots yourself. And when he squares off with that kid, at yeah, the, there's yeah, a scene yeah, yeah. toward the end, right. not to give That's anything the theory, away. Right. Yeah. And I think I think. That is the movie. Like everything else in the movie is really interesting. The recreations of the Dolomite movie are really hilarious. Mm -hmm. Frankly, that was to me like the highlight. Um, and the cast, getting all the cast in the same room, is always a good idea with this movie for me. Can I ask you a question about Eddie? Because this is yeah. I was thinking. This is what I've been thinking about. Eddie seems so like uncomfortable with fame, and he mm -hmm. said, you know, he speaks very softly in an actual interview. He said, like, I actually love to do nothing. I like to just sit and do nothing. Mm -hmm. And this character is so driven to be in front of an audience, to be seen, to love, you know, and there's a scene where we were just talking about where, you know, instead of watching his movie, he just goes out to be with the crowd. Like, is this some kind of weird other side of Eddie's right. personality <laughs> that he's letting out? Like, what's going on? I don't know. Do you Did you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, well... I I, I didn't know how shy he was, actually, but that is, I love that about a comedian. <laughs> I love someone yeah. who's on when they're on. I think that what's really interesting about him is that he can do broad really well, but he can do, I mean, he, he does character really well, he does everything really well, and this is a kind of role where it's hard to imagine someone as internal as he seems to be kind of wanting to play the role of a guy whose whole thing was, I want to be famous. But like the irony of that, I think, is partially what works about this because it's it's a comeback story. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, about, it's about a guy who keeps trying and trying, no matter what the industry is, he will go from trying to do R&B to working at a music record shop to you know, catering to pimps, et cetera, um, and eventually kind of landing in this role 
Um, he's just trying and trying again. And well, and he also does kind of play two characters in a way, right? He, he sort does. of plays Rudy Ray Moore and Dolomite, at, at least those right. two in a sense, yeah. right? You and see him create this. characters, yeah. 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 Right, and you do, and I think this is a good thing about the movie, you do kind of see, it's informative in a way that I wasn't expecting. Like, they talk about the style of black humor, like playing the dozens and all these things, and it's like not didactic. It's it's pretty seamlessly woven into the movie that you walk away with a sense of, okay, what is the style of comedy and why did it catch on in the way that it did and why do we think of it as so foundational to things like hip hop? And it's because he was doing things like playing the dozens with like jazz bands behind him and it sounded like rap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like that kind of stuff is really good. Like that's the stuff that I also just think that Craig Brewer is really good at. Like in Hustle and Flow, I love the recording scenes and mm -hmm. like the, that's Taraji P. Henson's big moment in that movie where she starts doing the backup track for that. So, and it's just like that stuff is really good. Speaking but, of Charlie P. Henson, we should mention Divine Joy Randolph is like the breakout star. Oh, uh, yes. This woman, uh, what's the character's name? Um, Lady D. Yeah, she's like, she, uh, Eddie Murphy like finds her in a bar somewhere and like brings her into his act, and she's just astonishing. I'd never seen her in anything before. Yeah, I, I looked her up immediately after, and I guess I have, but but uh, on TV and, and like kind of dispersed throughout a number of episodes and shows like Empire, so I've never gotten a real like sit down with her in the way that this movie gives me. Yeah. And she just has that immediately that energy where you know what kind of role it is. He meets her in a bar, he's sort of flirtatious, she's not that into it. You kind of know how this conversation goes, but there's just something about her matter-of-factness, but also like the depth of humor in it mm -hmm. that just jumped off screen to me. I, I just was immediately like, who are you? I need to see <laughs> yes. where you do everything. Always and, exciting here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and the, and the character wouldn't work. I mean, that's actually like right. the foundational aspect of her character. So you gotta find somebody, you know. Yeah. yeah they they right. better jump off the screen. Yeah. The right. whole idea is like, I saw you punch someone in a bar and I realized right. you should be a star. <laughs> right, you know? right. And someone who can do the mix of, you know, she has to nail like also in the end, the sort of like, I'm just so grateful to be here. But oh also, God, yeah, that scene is so good. It's really, and it's like a really wonderful scene, and the kind of scene that, yeah, you know is coming, but just like a, a good performance can really just make something, you know, something that feels predictable just kind of leap out at you in a way, and she's just really a star, I think. Cam, we should let you go. Do you want to shout what you think is going to win Best Picture in the microphone from what you've seen, just to, uh, <laughs> in the spirit of this wildly I guess podcast. Joker now. I, right. I don't have any, I don't know. I, I don't Are know, you still no. feeling high on Judy and Renee now that you're down for the mountains? That, has, that, has that lingered? I'm, I'm, I'm definitely still high on Renee. Okay, I, I good, hope that everyone good. else is too. But, I, but I'm really curious. I think that some people are going to think it's a bad performance, but I think that what they think is bad is, is good. interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're just like opposite of the truth. Right. Yeah. Right. Hard to be wrong. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We'll Thank let you get you. out of here. We'll keep yes. going. Thank you Thank for you. for making the rush for this. See you guys soon. Okay, as we record this, Richard, I just saw Hustlers. Yep. You, Congratulations. Uh, oh, my God. I'm, I'm You're a now cha changed. I'm a, I know, I'm yeah. a changed, I'm wearing yeah. a fur coat as we record this, <laughs> you actually. Look, <laughs> and you started smoking. <laughs> <laughs> a lot's been going on in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've been a fan of Lorene Scafaria's work for a while. Yeah, uh, I'm not world's number one meddler fan, maybe? Uh, yeah. Other than probably Lorene's mother. But I, I feel like your yeah. fandom has really uh, pushed Hustlers into existence somehow. This movie's amazing. It's, it's, it's... I was eager to see it because of the storyline. It's based on this New York Magazine article about strippers who post, you know, 2008 crash started robbing people, which is not a good thing to do. But you know, <laughs> there are economic factors. You know, um, that's not interesting. The cast is great. I like Lorene. The movie surpasses that high expectation. I mean, it's a really like beautifully made film and and, and 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 clever and sweet and sad and really exciting. And uh, at the center of all that, I mean, she is technically a supporting role is Jennifer Lopez, who just gives this knockout turn. I have not seen her be this good since Out of Sight 20, no. 21 years ago. I don't ago. think she's been given a chance to yeah. be this good since yeah. Out of Sight. Yeah. And she really just like, something just in, in her just seems to be like, I want this. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like, I'm going to put aside the, the, the bad rom-coms or whatever for now. And and those are fun. You know, those, those have their value. I'm not saying that her whole oeuvre has not been good. But uh, just like this is just a different side of her, or or a renewed side of her that is really exciting. And it's something that she can only do now that she is this titan uh, as a star. Like sure. you, know, you see, there's a shot of her early in the movie where she's like sitting on a roof, like with a fur coat around her, like wearing her like shiny stripper outfit, and she just looks like a statue. It's going to be on a lot of people's like college dorm room walls. That oh that, that, that poster. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. just like it just yeah. matters that she is where she is in her career that she can do this. Like she's playing this veteran, and she's like you know she's not she's not a high status character, but like she carries that charisma with her. She has nothing to prove as an actor. You know, like in yeah. a way, and and yet she does do like she's a workhorse. She does so much work for this movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we're gonna have a video of her like on on our YouTube channel of like, you know, her explaining like this stripping scene that she does, and yeah. it's kind of her introduction that is just incredible. Yeah. And like you know, she's older than a lot of the other performers you know playing the strippers in the film, and yet, like 
who the hell is anyone else? Like, oh, yeah. it's like, there she is. Well, she, and she's teaching yeah. them how to do it. And there's yeah. this scene where she's teaching Constance Wu how to, like, do, uh, like, a pole dance. And you see all the muscles in her body. And it's yeah. just mind-boggling. Because her whole persona is, like, she came from the Bronx. She's worked for everything. Like, she's, you know, she has earned everything she has. And you see that work. Yeah. And it makes it almost more impressive. Yeah. I mean, I really felt like, we've talked about it on this podcast before, like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if Jennifer Lopez got an Oscar nomination for supporting actress for this? And like, and I was like, oh yeah, that'd be nice. But I didn't actually believe it. And then I saw the movie and I was like, oh no, she really Is fucking she could. Is she going to win an Oscar? I like... mean, I, I mean, you know, I, I will, in the things that I vote for, I will be <laughs> pushing, stumping hard for her, I think, unless someone else comes and turns my head, as I would say. In the I mean, I haven't, like, taken stock of the supporting actress race since I saw Hustlers an hour ago, but, like, it just feels like she has everything in place yeah. to, like, run the table on that. Yeah, and the movie comes out... Uh, in, like, a week. Well, yeah, so it's really soon. So, like, um, the people will get to, to vote as well, you know, <laughs> which is important. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. Well, we should, I mean, the People's Choice vote at Toronto, yeah. like, do you guys feel like you've seen anything that's, like, an easy People's Choice? Because we should say, like, Green Book won it last year, like, many Best Picture winners have won the People's Choice Award here first. I think we've all seen a contender in Knives Out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That movie is, so Mike and I saw it at the premiere uh, with, like, the huge, excited premiere crowd, which was a blast. But, like, you saw it um, at a press screening, but it seems like it went. No, it was a public screening, oh, okay. actually, yeah. So, but, like, and daytime. Daytime, it was not the, it wasn't the, 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 the stars weren't there, you know. Sure. Like, but it was, like, the audience was, just went nuts for it. Like, yeah. like, you couldn't hear certain lines because people were laughing and cheering yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we should, got to talk about Daniel Craig in this movie. <laughs> yeah. and, and there's a great. Benoit like, Blanc. Yes, <laughs> Benoit Blanc. And it takes a while, he has suitably, it takes a while for him to kind of be revealed. He's like Actually, lingering he's, in the background of a bunch of shots. I mean, is, I'm ruining it now for our audience, but like, no, but we're not going to actually spoil noise the out. <laughs> but, but watching it, no, but even this, yeah. like, I didn't even know who it was back there. Oh, There's like yeah. a guy sitting in the back, yeah. tinkling, a, hitting a piano key, and everyone's like, who the hell is that in the movie and also in the audience? And then you're like, oh my God, it's Daniel Craig. Yeah. And doing this, as, as they say in the film, they make fun of him for it, this foghorn, leghorn, southern accent. It turns out we talked to Ryan Johnson, who yeah. told us it's a Shelby. It's based on Shelby Foot, who I think they saw in the Ken Burns historian, documentary. Yeah. Uh, but wow. yeah, this kind of um, <laughs> genteel Southern accent and just chewing scenery yeah. in every direction. Mm -hmm. And you can tell. Well, I think we can talk about this. We, you know, we, we we met Ryan Johnson afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I said that to him, and he was just like, you could just tell that after all the Bond stuff, he was just ready to have some fun. Yeah. And he's like, I just stood back and let him go. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's also a narrative with Ryan Johnson. I mean, I think, you know, yes. uh, something that I mentioned in my review is what a relief this movie must have been. After all of the, the fan outrage about his Star Wars, uh, Last Jedi, which I think is a, is a good Star Wars movie, but a lot of people were angry I with the direction the Jedi, he took it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that now he just gets to return, go back to the days of Brick, which is his first real big breakout movie that's, you know, kind of, that was more of a noir. This is a whodunit kind of in the more Agatha Christie style. Um, and just have fun and really show off all of his technical ability. The, he's a beautiful writer. Uh, and just and and the stakes are so much lower. I just think it just. But really, it also has you know, that confidence. But you were saying, Katie, that that everything he does has a lot of confidence. Yeah. But this 
it's not like a cerebral confidence anymore in a way, or it has that, but it also has a little bit of a populist confidence. It feels to me a little bit like when a Spielberg or a J.J. Abrams comes down from the blockbuster mountain and is like, let me just make something I care about. It yeah. has that kind of, you know, EQ and IQ going on, yeah. which I don't know that he had before pre-Star Wars. That, sure. my, that's my yeah. And this is the genre where you want the director to be like, no, 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 I got this. Like, I'm just going to push you in all the places I want you to be and then watch everything come into place. Right, because it's basically Clue. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's a really And they mention Clue. Clue. Yeah. <laughs> they say, like, he lives in a Clue board of a house. Yeah. Right, yeah. Great. Lakeith Stanfield says that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the cast yeah. is very And that's the other thing, is he gets to just get the actors he wants, yeah. you know? And well, he has, like, yeah. smaller names like Anna Darmus, who, mm-hmm. who is, like, a big part in the movie. Uh, he gets James Bond, you know, he gets... Uh, Chris Evans. Yeah, Tony Collette shows up. You know, like, yeah. it's just like, it's a really well curated cast, and they all seem similar to Hustlers in a way. They all just seem so happy to be there. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That that's just like pops off the screen. Yeah. Well, is... speaking of like getting a break from playing a superhero, like, you know, Chris Evans, like, this is the first movie he's made since Endgame. And like, without spoiling too much, like, he's playing kind of like a shifty asshole kind of character, which is what he was famous for before Captain America. Right, and right. I feel like yeah. he's enjoying just like, being the like spoiled jerk son who yes. <laughs> like emerged, yeah. Yeah. he doesn't have to be uh, America's golden boy. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, so it feels like Knives Out and Parasite are the two movies that are playing here. Where everyone's yes. like, don't talk about it. Like no one should know anything about right. this movie. Um, I, Parasite was at Cannes. I think you saw it there, Richard. Yeah, um, it's secretly a sequel to Unbra- Unbreakable, <laughs> the Shaman. <laughs> it's it's another one of that. It's class three. Yeah, yeah it's class three. Um, yeah, I mean, we'd like without talking too much about the plot of Parasite. I feel like it is the movie that every single person I talk to, like press, not press, is like that movie's. Yeah, and it, it it came down the mountain of Telluride yes. with like a, pr- a procession a mile long. I yes. mean, people were so into that movie there because no one had seen it since t- since May. Um, and yeah, and I think it's arrived here. I think it sustained that. You know, I think Portrait of Lady on Fire was another big can breakout mm-hmm. that played well here, but didn't quite resonate the way Parasite did. And well, I think say, that movie's not as much of like a crowd movie. Like right. Parasite, seeing with an audience is yeah. really fun. And I think that something about Parasite that really resonates is something that we were talking before we started recording about. There are so many movies here about not just economic unease, but economic. Revolution? Rebellion? <laughs> you know, you, you I, saw, I, I yeah. literally, all seven movies I've seen have yeah. basically been about some version of jumping the poor rich divide. Yeah. Class warfare. Maybe going back and forth. Class warfare. And yeah. by the way, there's nothing in between. Like, there's no... None of right. the movies have any middle class. Like, there is no middle class. That, that, yeah. that, that seems to be the background. And these are movies from all over the world all mm-hmm. coming out at the same time. There's something in the air for sure. And, and, and um, Parasite really distills that. Beautifully. I yeah. mean, it's it's brilliant the way that you have this. Well, anyway, we're not going to spoil any yeah, of it. Yeah, I, I will. I don't want to overhype it because I think I was late enough in the thing where I was like, okay, I'm ready for a perfect movie. And then, of course, <laughs> like you know, the third act, you're like, wait a minute, it's dragging for 30 seconds. Yeah. But um, but it is wonderful. It's brilliantly constructed. Um, great cast of you know Korean actors and and, and somebody said I'm going to say this. None of you guys would would um, say something as vulgar as this. But somebody said, you know, I, was, I knew it was going to be subtitles and I was ready to fall. Sleep, but like you're totally engaged the oh, entire yeah. time. I mean, it's yeah. that kind of yeah. you know. I don't want to read a movie, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, it's not that kind of foreign film. Yeah. Well, we talked about on the show how South Korea has never been nominated for a foreign language Which Oscar. Which is insane. It's completely insane. This is obviously going to break that streak. But now the question is like, how far it can go? It really feels like Roma might have paved a path for like yeah. a foreign language movie like this to go very far. It seems yeah. like a very very likely Best Picture nominee. Yeah. At, at you know I at least so. people were kind of saying it's a slam dunk for Best Picture. I mean, I think that's crazy, but. I think that it it will be in there. Because there's always the problem of getting the people to see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like getting a better I Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, don't know. I feel like people see it, but maybe maybe there's still that subtitle yeah, version. Yeah. I don't know. It, that would be really dumb. If th- anyone's thinking of not watching it for the subtitle oh, thing, yeah. don't do that. I think yeah. the problem is is that, you know, um, is that a, a production from, from South Korea, Academy voters, they don't know the DP. They don't know the second AD. Yeah. They don't know they don't the grip. The the like they don't know the cast. Like so it's, not, actors, it's less of a family affair, you know? Yeah. And I think Roma at least had Quran that they could kind of, and Netflix that they could sort of like, you know, hook into that. They know people who work at Netflix. Yeah, but yeah. I'm going to yeah. argue that this has been enough of a phenomenon now that everyone knows they got they have to see it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so. you yeah. feel like a dope if you well, didn't we, see we it. We should say that, like, I mean, I sarcastically ask him what's going to win Best Picture. We don't know. Like, there's no. Oh no. There's not like I mean, we always think about when Kyle Buchanan wrote Twelve Years a Slave is going to win Best Picture from Toronto mm-hmm. six years ago and turned out to be right. Like I don't think anyone is making. I remember that anything. night, and I remember <laughs> making fun of Kyle about it yeah. at the time. <laughs> I mean, we, I feel like we've all made our like bold claims about various things here, but like other than Jennifer Lopez, which who knows if that's just us? Like it doesn't feel like anything. No, it's going to be Brad Pitt, Jennifer Lopez, Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> we already know yeah, this. Yeah. Come, on. <laughs> Come on, guys. Um, I I think also you know if we're talking about Oscars, uh, I caught. Um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood uh-huh, yeah. um, the uh, the other night, and 
you know, we, we talked about the trailer, I think, on this podcast, and we weren't really sure, because, you know, Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks, and Fred Rogers was Fred Rogers. We had Mario Heller on the podcast basically saying, I, I knew a straight impersonation wasn't going to work. Yeah. It just has to be more about the spirit of Fred Rogers, and he, Hanks nails it, yeah. I think. And... Um, I, but Which is great acting because yeah. Tom Hanks is a monster. Mm-hmm. Well, right, exactly. Famous, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Famously monster. <laughs> um, but I think the interesting thing about that that we're seeing, I've seen a few films like this, is like he's secretly not the lead of the movie. Matthew Reese is the lead of, of, of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and, and Hanks is more of a supporting, yeah. um, which I feel like I don't know if that gives him a better shot for getting his first Oscar nomination in 19 years or not, but... Yeah, and well, I feel like that movie is something that it, already people being like, it's muted, like it needs to be supported, but like mm. it's not like it's not emotional, but I think it's uh, there's like a, a team coming around to support it, which could be really interesting in the two and a half months before it opens in theaters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it, it, look, it's, it's going to, I mean, talking about audience prize, like I went to the premiere and the, you know, you could hear sniffles, you know, tears mm-hmm. filling the, the Roy Thompson Hall um, and rapturous applause afterwards. It is afterwards. cold season in Canada. <laughs> that's true, that's true. And everyone's doing coke. Yeah. Uh, uh, but you know, I think that's 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 one that um, will have to conquer a little of that smallness. Yeah. Um, but with Hanks kind of as the sort of mascot, it could it could go further than a movie of that scale would otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Um, talking about sniffling in the audience, I went to the premiere of Just Mercy. Um, oh yeah. Which there were, I mean, so Brian Stevenson is this guy who's a civil rights lawyer who has like fought to get people off of death row in Alabama, and like he's there in the audience, and there's this like, huge like vibe of support around it, and then you hear the audience like watching the story about him getting prisoners off of death row. Um, that has a real, it had a real audience impact. I think that movie is a little less of like a slam dunk crowd pleaser the way that we've been talking about Knives Out but I do think it's it's in that audience award vein. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's about such a, it's unimpeachably about something important and righteous and yeah. you know, um and 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 the acting is good. Jamie Foxx talk about another supporting possibility return yeah. to form kind of performance, but Destin Daniel Cretton, who directed it, like he directs it very straightforward. There is almost no style. It is just like point and shoot, you know, okay, act for me, you know, which like Fine, that's worked before in the past, but I think people increasingly, if you look at recent Best Picture winners or at least nominees, people are looking for a little more sort of auteury style, and this does not, Just Mercy doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. So That's interesting, yeah. I mean, after seeing Waves, I think it was like, oh, give me... Yeah. Story yeah. about people doing things. I thought I was gonna pat like um, like be sick at the first part of it because there's the camera swirling and swirling. And so I was like, oh my, it's like people who can't watch flashy things because of like getting yeah. a seizure. I was like, I, am I gonna am I gonna faint at my like second TIFF screening? But there's also something yeah. about seeing so many movies. Like you were yeah. at Venice before this, where you're yeah. like, I'm just like sitting in another dark room watching another screen. Like, what is reality? I don't know what to see yeah. in three dimensions. But that's an interesting theory. I mean, thinking of Spotlight as the maybe yeah. exception. Yeah. But even then, the kind of simplicity of Spotlight was its own form of auteurish style. It was right. so It was almost shocking. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was so yeah. muted yeah. that they yeah. that you're like, wow. Yeah. How, how daring. Yeah. Just the facts, ma'am, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Shape of Water, Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like uh, The Revenant. The Revenant. Roma. Yeah, like Roma. Like all these like things that are so high style. Yeah. Um, but, you know, importantly, those are that's high style that also had an, a core that was sustainable and, 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 and worthy. That If you stripped away the style, that the, the, that would still be enough. And I don't think Waves has that, but I do think Hustlers has that. Mm. And in our timeline, Roma won Best Picture last year, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's crazy is so we're sitting here on Sunday at TIFF. Like, Green Book didn't premiere till Wednesday of TIFF last year. Yeah. Like, I, I left, and I was like, okay, yeah. Green Book's coming. And then, like, that was such a sneak attack. So, I don't well, there's, know. Well, yeah, there's more to come. There's I still mean, more to come. Well, I'm seeing Ford vs. Ferrari tomorrow. Ford, yeah, and so that so was Ford, a huge mm-hmm. hit at Telluride. Yeah, we, t- we this oh, chance to talk way, to him about Mayor that. Oh, by the way, Mayor's Story hasn't uh, premiered yeah, yet. Yeah, Mayor's Story's premiering in a couple hours as we do I this. I have seen it. Mm-hmm. And have you guys seen it? I saw it at Venice, yeah. Yeah, I have right. seen it, yeah. I mean, oh, that right. So it premiered. It premiered in Venice. So yeah. that's not. There, there could be a full. But no one was in Venice. Attack. I mean, that's a, that's a yeah. secret thing. <laughs> right. There are no American journalists there. So like, it's essentially the world premiere. I mean, yeah. I mean, I hate. No, I mean, I loved going to Venice, and and that's it's a great festival. But like, Toronto is where that movie really. Well, that's another. Gets its, since, you know, I mean, that's another. I mean, actually... Is that movie about Class Divide? I was going to say it feels like it's, it's not, the one it's the, that's it's not. It's a movie that's not about Class Divide. No, I was going to say it's another one where I would be ready to put a chip down on a best actor for, for um, Adam, Driver. Adam Driver. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. in a weird way, one could argue, one could say today <laughs> that it's going to be Adam Driver, Brad Pitt, Renee Zellweger and J Lo. One, oh, yeah. one could say. I that. have heard. One I could, think I've heard that exact yeah. combo thrown out there by other people, which like I love that. What an amazing 
combination of people. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like the the revenge of the early aughts. Everyone like coming back <laughs> to Brad and Driver. Um, I think I think Marriage Story will be interesting because when a movie premieres at Venice or Telluride and gets the raves that Marriage like the kind of raves that Marriage Story did. It makes people excited to see the movie, and a lot of critics and tweeters and all that, you know, they'll they'll rally behind it. But they're also that does kind of bear the movie's throat a little bit for people to be contrarian about it. Yeah. Totally. And yeah. I think that a Noah Baumbach movie about straight rich white people, you know, having these kind of you know bi-coastal problems marriage, yeah. with an actor or an actress who has been a little bit you know in the news lately yeah. for for saying some things. I wonder if Mary's Story could be vulnerable yeah. to to a kind of pushback, but mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see. It, I'm very curious to see because my feeling about the movie is it's strong enough to overcome that, but I but I don't know. I mean, it. Um, but there's a lot to Noah Baumbach. Just generally speaking, sort of creates a target for whatever reason. I feel yeah. like it, it's yeah. probably the privilege. The class warfare of Oscar York season has guy. only truly begun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ford v. Ferrari is something, because, like, you know, Cam Sada Tell You Ride wrote a, like, really positive review of yeah. it. That seems like something that could, like, come in, vroom in, drive in, <laughs> yeah. uh, as, like, a big crowd pleaser. It's bringing the same night as Joker here, which is uh, quite a combination. Oh, well, well Joker's going to win audience more. What are we talking about? <laughs> finally, a night for the boys, you know. <laughs> well, Uncut Gems is also playing yeah. that, like, Uncut Gems yeah. and Joker are playing opposite each other. It's yeah. like, which stressed out New Yorker do you want to watch, right. like, running around? Well, I, I, I joke about a night for the boys, but it's like uh, you know, on Saturday night here, we, there are two big splasher premieres in uh, Hustlers and Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Two great female directors mm-hmm. having really big slots, yeah, and then Knives Out as well. But yeah. like that, that was that was kind of a fun thing. So yeah, we can let them have Joker and Ford v Ferrari as well, yeah. you know, and uh, their own night. Well, the best actor um, race is like looking really packed which in a way it hasn't like, been in a while. Yeah, like yeah. it's normally by this time we're like, oh my god, which of the nineteen actresses who are el- yeah. like like contenders are going to get in the, the the five? Yeah, but like this year. I feel like it's mostly actors we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially yeah. here in the, in the yeah. crap that we got here. And then, you know, can Joaquin Phoenix be the second person playing the Joker to win an Oscar, which is feels like an insane thing to ask. Well, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a good If one. it hasn't, you know, burned the world down by, by then. <laughs> we if there are Oscars, Oscars by the time yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're hearing this podcast, <laughs> we've... Safe yeah, us now. Yeah. Uh, anything else you guys want to... We'll, we'll catch up next week, obviously, about everything else we see after we record this, but what I miss. I saw... We both saw, or you saw some of, anyway, um, oh, True, History, True History of Kelly, of Kelly yeah. Gang, which is, you know, it's from Justin Kurzel, uh, who did uh, that Macbeth with Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. Um, it's an interesting movie. It's a historical, you know, Australian kind of Outback thing, outlaw thing. It has a similar pushback against the ruling party, you know, in terms of the British colonizers who dragged these Irish people to this, you know, godforsaken yeah. place. Well, they thought it was godforsaken, but anyway. Um, but what what stood out to me uh, was the style, and it's like well, this is an interesting way to do a historical biopic because it's it's really weird and, and very contemporary feeling. But George Mackay in the lead role as Ned Kelly is a real breakout. He's like 27. He's been we've seen him in Captain Fantastic, we've seen him in um, Pride, which is a great little movie. But this is kind of I mean not to be hyperbolic, but I was talking to our own editor Kira Pollock about this. He strides onto screen, and you're like, is that Heath Ledger? Like he just mm. has this like presence where he's doing something new with his acting that feels a lot bigger and deeper and and I, I think that if nothing else that movie is a really interesting calling card for that actor so yeah. that's always I also fun to see. was really impressed by Russell Crowe in it who's got a pretty oh, small great. part yeah. but yeah. and he's just like huge and burly has this gigantic beard but you're still like oh you're very, very attractive actually yeah. did he have his Roger Ailes weight on still oh, yeah, yeah. some yeah, I, I, yeah. I didn't watch that one so I don't yeah. know what the fluctuation is but he like sings like a song on a guitar and like smokes he's, a pipe he's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and and Essie Davis is wonderful from mm-hmm. the Babadook she's she plays um, Ned Kelly's mother yeah she's uh, and she's that's a ferocious turn. Yeah, um, so, and Nicholas you know, Holt, who's, Holt, yeah. who's going to get yeah. that Best Supporting Actor nomination someday. Like, <laughs> he's really fun in it. Yeah. Oh, he's, and, yeah. he's been great in so much in the yeah. last couple of years. It's like, when is that ball going to get yeah. rolling? But And, um, and IFC bought it, so Americans will get right. a chance. Right, yeah, to, it seems like yeah. something that might come out next year. Yeah. Like, we won't be in this Well, time. and how about, what's the full title of the David Copperfield thing? The Personal History of David Copperfield, yeah, which I, mean, I really like. It's really, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. And uh, it's, there's not a lot of chatter about it, but Dev Patel is so good in it. Yeah. Really good ensemble cast. Hugh Laurie is really great in the Hugh Laurie part. is terrific. Does it yeah. feel, I haven't seen it, does it feel like an Iannucci film, or is this him doing something different? It Mostly something different. I think you see little bits of it, just for the way it brings the comedy out of the situation. And it's got all these, like, oddball characters who are kind of, like, running in and out of rooms. And, like, it's not insults, it's not profanity. It's very sweet in a way that his previous movies aren't. But I feel yeah. like I can see the threads that led him there. And it's exciting to see him do something new. Like, yeah. he's perfected this political comedy, and now he's going to try something different. It's not, It actually is nice, because it's like, it's a period piece. It's very Dickens mm-hmm. and very period, but it's also 
like doing something different than any other. It's more clever mm -hmm. and I think a little more sort of daring and willing to just write really funny dialogue that's funny rather than try and, you know, have everybody be speaking in Dickensese or something. Right. Um, but uh, but it's got a heart, it's got a lot of heart too. It's it's quite, I mean, Def Patel's just so good. I know, at, he's like I such think. a, he, he mean, he's been in, you know, he broke out in Slumdog Millionaire, he was in Lion, like he's got this very like lauded career, but I feel like we underrate him yeah. still. Oh, and the other one I want to mention um, is Pain and Glory. Uh, mm -hmm. Just Antonio Banderas is really very, very. Speaking good. of a crowd, best, best actor, actor yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he he and uh, Pedro Almodovar came in yesterday to our portrait studio, and you know before the film, Almodovar said. Uh, Antonio has always been my Mastroianni, right? He's like mm -hmm. kind of probably overdoing the eight and a half invocations because it's like not a great idea because you can't outdo eight and a half. Right. Um, but this is an eight and a half-ish enterprise to sort of say like, I'm gonna really try and reckon with like my relationship with my mother, my childhood, how that affects me as an artist, why that makes it hard to be an artist, you know, in the late stages of my filmmaking career. I mean, it's, it is all there. Mm -hmm. But Banderas is playing a version of Pedro Almodovar. I hope Pedro Almodovar does not have all of the health problems that this character has. Um, <laughs> I just saw him in the lobby, he looked good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but they came in together and did a portrait and, and so Banderas, who's like, you know, got a broken spine basically through the whole movie is now, uh, rehearsing for the, the chorus line on Broadway, I guess, that he's co-directing. And so he was like the most nimble 58-year-old or whatever he is, 60-year-old that you've ever seen in your life. He literally climbed up on the back of Pedro Almodovar's chair, folding chair, and perched on it like, uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah. it's very, it's acting, it's really acting. Yeah. Playing this shuffling <laughs> old broken man, uh, so I think that for that alone, it's worth. And and it's a, it's an interesting film. I don't. It's not eight and a half, unfortunately, but. And I think he's pretty widely beloved. Yeah, in, no one in doesn't the, want to yeah, see him get an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. you know, and he's never been nominated. He's had a very interesting storied career. He kind of helped bring Robert Rodriguez into the sort of American consciousness. Like he's done a lot, you know. Okay, Mike, you had one other thing that you saw uh, that is also at Class Warfare, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, so I just saw Michael Winterbottom's Greed um, with Steve Coogan, and I'm a huge fan of the trip movies. At yeah. least the first two are just totally incredible. And we had I Steve think... Coogan on the podcast uh, last year for Stan Nolly, right? That's right, yeah. yes. And I think I saw the first um, trip here. And so when I see Michael Winterbottom, Steve Coogan, Tiff, I'm like, I'm going to that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and this time they have a lot more on their minds than, you know, like eating and drinking. Um, and they actually seem to try to take on this entire screwed up global economy that's causing all of the problems that are manifesting in Trump and Brexit and all these movies in <laughs> Toronto. Like, it's a crazy thing to do, but Steve Coogan plays this um, horrible, evil fashion magnate who exploits people just out of a pure desire to win and never get screwed over and always get screw the other guy over. Uh, and they bring in Syrian refugees, they bring in sweatshops, they bring in uh, sweatshops, they bring in the kind of celebrity industrial complex and how much it costs to get Elton to play your, uh, you know, <laughs> private party. Uh, it really, they really try and tie a lot of it together and it, they come pretty close to pulling it off. Yeah. I mean, Coogan, you know, I, it's always fun to watch Coogan be evil. So, um, uh, and he's very good at it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> real quick before we wrap up, I saw The Two Popes, which I very much oh, yeah. enjoyed. Uh, it's, it's two, two of them. Uh, Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan <laughs> Price. They're great together. It's just like them talking to each other about like God and what we owe each other and like pizza and soccer. And like it's really, it moves really well as Fernando Merrells. He's a Brazilian director who hasn't made anything in a while. Um, it's gonna be on Netflix. I feel like it's like a great like Netflix surprise thing. So go see those popes. That's it. We'll talk. We'll catch up next week, yeah, right? We'll uh, see what there'll else we got to see. Yeah, we'll have to talk about Jojo Rabbit and various other things. Oh yeah, so, Jojo yeah. Rabbit, yeah. Ruby Ferrari, Uncut Gems. Yeah, more Joker. I'll finally every... see Judy. Oh, so actually, okay. I won't be recording because I'll be dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll miss you greatly, yeah. and we'll do our best without yeah. you. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.
Okay, so I'm still in Toronto. So I was at the um, the screening on Friday night at the Elgin, which was a real blast. And I was really struck in the beginning because I think this was the second time it had screened that night. But as you were introducing Brian Stevenson, you got pretty emotional, which is fascinating for having worked with someone so long on this movie. Uh, what was going on at that moment? Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I don't know, I just felt very grateful, to be honest. It was, uh, it was really moving to be on, on stage with that team that I've grown to love so much. And Brian Stevenson was, you know, he's, he started off as somebody that I really just admired and has grown to be somebody that has become such a wonderful friend and guide through this whole process it was just uh, very emotional to get to that point is it something where like, have you had that emotional tie to him throughout the whole period like you know you're working on a movie together you get to know each other but had, have you kind of kept that kind of gratitude and admiration in mind the whole time I mean admiration and gratitude yes um, but there's definitely a, a trust that needs to be built when you are adapting somebody's life right in front of them. <laughs> you know, when I put myself in his shoes, it makes perfect sense that he wouldn't just completely open up to me from day one. Um, he, but over, you know, over, over time, I think he grew to see that I was doing my best. <laughs> And uh, we we really learned to work together in a in a really beautiful way, and I I just feel so lucky to have been able to learn from him over the past few years. So also at the premiere, you were wearing this. Um, is is lay the right word for it? The uh, kind of necklace made of leaves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from your mom that she had brought, and I feel like a couple other people I saw in the audience had them too. Is that a, is that a tradition for you, or was that a one time thing? Yeah, it is a tradition. Like my mom, whenever she comes to a premiere, she usually makes the lays on Maui and then she flies them over. It's also a tradition on our set. Whenever an actor raps, we give them a lay. Oh. Where were you filming this? Atlanta and Montgomery, Alabama. So what's it like to be on set in Montgomery, Alabama and handing out lays to actors? Is that a, is it like a good kind of cultural union? <laughs> We, we like to bring a little piece of Hawaii wherever we go. So, <laughs> <laughs> To go back to the Toronto premiere, just because, you know, the festival is so fresh in my mind and it's such a huge launching pad. I mean, I was sitting in the audience, I think, behind a couple of people on the producing team. Like, obviously, you've got kind of the whole family that made the movie and this really eager audience. Like, what's what's that feeling for you when you kind of sit there? And it's not just that it's to a receptive audience, but it's playing for people who are so involved in it. What, what kind of goes through your mind as that happens? You know, it's very emotional because you work so hard and so long on these projects and you go through so much with these people. It's like a really, really long summer camp and you you go through ups and downs. You see the best and the worst in people and you come out the other side. So by the time we are all there in that theater, we really are a, a family watching this thing that we went through together. So, yeah, it's a it's a very emotional experience. Um, and then specifically watching it alongside shoulder to shoulder with strangers and hearing them interact with it is a very special thing. So I was looking back at the kind of announcements about this movie. It was casting or the cast was announced in the fall, which, and then, uh, you had the Marvel project that you're doing announced not that long after it. So it feels like these two projects were kind of running on parallel tracks. What was that experience like for two very different movies kind of existing in your head at the same time? It was actually kind of nice. I mean, I was actually, (laughs) I was finishing post on this movie while I was kind of starting prep, early prep on the next one. And, yeah, it was nice to bounce back and forth between the two because <laughs> they are very they are very different in tone and um but there you know there are similarities in terms of just character development and 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 trying to find you know the the heart of of each of these characters that uh, I think is something that i'm that will carry over to any project that I'm doing. Does it feel like that kind of variety is like good for your muscles? Like it keeps you from, you know, finding the easy way into something if you try something so different after one movie? 
Yeah, I guess it's like, what, what, isn't there like a certain type of exercise, like where you like do one type of exercise too much, it's actually bad for your body? <laughs> you do like legs day yeah, and yeah. arms day. Yeah. <laughs> so is Just Mercy legs day or arms day? That's the, uh, that's the question. Just Mercy was probably more abs. Because um, <laughs> it it's in, in the core of, yeah. your, of your being. And it's really, really hard <laughs> and like <laughs> gives you stomach aches sometimes. Um, and was was it really really hard in a way that your previous films haven't been i mean i i had a lot of you know i had a a lot of personal pressure put on myself because of my huge respect for brian stevenson and Mm my um you know i i always have a fear of of uh (laughs) of messing up but in this case i i felt like messing up would be disappointing you know disappointing brian or disappointing making something that didn't ring true to all the people who do this type of work not only brian stevenson but people all over this country that that dedicate themselves to helping people who are vulnerable um i i just felt a lot of pressure to getting it right for them was there a moment where you felt like you did get it right yeah it was the moment Brian came out to the studio and he sat in the theater to watch the cut and as soon as we we hit play and I wa- walked out of the theater my stomach dropped and I was like oh my gosh and I was just <laughs> I was watching my my clock knowing every scene that he was watching at a certain time and I was trying to get work done but I couldn't it was like the worst 2 hours it was just just, just torturous <laughs> But then he came out and he just, um, yeah, he just had a really thankful smile on his face and gave me this big hug and said, thank you for, uh, he said we, we were able to capture his heart and he was very, very happy and I was extremely relieved. Hmm. So he was like the test audience of one that, uh, that mattered the most. Definitely. So I feel like this fits a really classic definition of a movie that they don't make anymore. It's kind of almost like a whole genre unto itself of these kind of character-driven dramas released by a studio. There's not like a existing IP behind it. And that's a really hard thing to make. It's a hard thing to convince people to make. Do you feel like you're kind of like representing it, like keeping this art form alive that we seem in danger of losing? Do you feel an attachment to that kind of like studio drama about real people that plays to adults like this? I mean, I feel really lucky that that we landed with Warner Brothers and with executives there um, who were personally extremely passionate about telling this story um, from the beginning all the way through. So we had so much so much support from them. I hope that more movies like this continue to be made. I feel like now more than ever. We have so much content coming at us every day. It's it's easy to just sit and just watch and be entertained and do nothing else in our lives. Um, mm-hmm. I I think it's really important to have some options that inspire us to get up off of the couch and go and do something. And I I hope this movie is one of those options that that doesn't doesn't only inspire you to just click to the next movie, but actually inspires you to go look up Brian Stevenson's work or look up what you can do in your in your own community um, and find out who the vulnerable people are who are living in the shadows and see if there's any way that you can help lift them up. When you look back on Making Short Term 12, which is a kind of similar... Um and that really that's something to just mercy, but like, you know, a small movie about people doing things in the world. And it had this great success. And I think I had like a slow, a slow burn success where, you know, obviously so much of the cast has gone on to do amazing things. Do you feel like that kind of success story is possible in the same way now? Like has the industry changed that much or does, is short term 12 still like a good model for how you can have like a breakout hit the way that you did? Oh, I have no idea about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I feel very, very lucky to have been a part of, of Short Term 12 and a part of the, the early work of so many amazing actors. Um, 
whether it's a model to success. I mean, I didn't, who, this industry changes every month, so probably yeah. not. Probably not. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, to me, the the only model to success that I think any of us should be following is whatever feels right to you um, in that moment. If you can, for, for myself, if I can make something that is true to who I am in that moment and true to the things that I'm thinking about or what I'm passionate about, um, and if it happens to hit, that's awesome. If not, then I had a great life experience that taught me something and hopefully made me a little better of a person. Is that a good attitude for going into even something as big as a Marvel movie? Like, do, do you feel like you can keep the same headspace about you? I think it's the only attitude that will keep me sane. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, any, any, anything, any expectations beyond that in, in this industry specifically is like, is for, for myself is, is pretty poisonous. I have to cling to the things that I know I can control and the, the reason why I got into this in the first place. And that's, to find stories that I feel like matter to me and will, yeah. will help help me grow as a person. And if I can do that alongside a group of people that I love and respect, all the better. Well, I'm sure knowing Brie Larson uh, can't hurt jumping into something like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, she's uh, she spent her time there already. She can show you the ropes. Yeah, I've, I've had many conversations with her already. <laughs> And have you talked to anybody else? I don't, you don't have to reveal too much, but I think about like Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck going from making small films to this. Like, I'm curious if that's helpful for you to hear from other filmmakers who have, have jumped into this. Yeah. I mean, like Ryan Coogler was kind of the first person that I called when I was getting to kind of the final rounds of this thing. And, um, and also talking to Taika a bit as well was super helpful. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, um, I mean, I'm still in the beginning stages, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, we all like to imagine you guys like having meetings and uh, and helping each other around, and then like you know going off and you know you and Taika both having films at Triff is kind of a funny way to look at. You know, you make the big movie and you make the small movie, and you get to make a career out of that. It's not a bad way to go. I mean, I think sometimes from an outside perspective, some people think that there's primarily because there's like all these. Weird competitive award shows that it, that it feels like these directors must be in competition with each other, but there really is just a lot of support, and I I fan out over all of Taika's things, and Ryan Coogler is one of my favorite directors, and I um I do not feel any sense of competition between them. It just feels very very grateful to be making movies alongside them. Well, you gave me a good chance to ask because this podcast is uh, mildly obsessed with award season stuff. And I'm just curious about how much can you pay attention to it? Maybe at this point, like obviously, uh, you know, your actors getting discussed in that context helps people be interested in the film. But do you have to kind of tune out after a certain point? Yeah, I try not to think about that stuff. But... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's our job. That's, we do it for you. <laughs> I don't know. Awards are awards are cool and fun. Like I, w I wish they're... I wish competition didn't have to exist with with our art form. I know that it it does create some some benefit, um, but it is something that, as a as a creative, uh, you have to constantly, you know, I have to be super careful about what I where I put my self worth, and if it's in awards, that mm -hmm. that's gonna pro that's gonna fuck me and if it's you know equally if it's in when if it's in the opinions of people bashing bashing things that I do if then that's also gonna fuck me so I, I kind of need to put my put my self-worth in something more concrete than that in Brian Stevenson's approval that seems like a great thing to to seek out instead yeah yeah that's that's all I for the for this one that was that was definitely <laughs> the pillar yeah um, okay, I think that's most of what I had to ask, so I can let you go. Thank you for, uh, I know you've been running around, so thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, thank you. 
That does it for this week's episode. As I said before, we'll have much more Toronto to talk about once we're all back at home, far away from the CN Tower and beautiful Toronto. In the meantime, you can read a lot of Toronto Film Festival coverage at VanityFair.com, including portraits from our gorgeous portrait studio. You can check our Instagram for those. You can also follow us on Twitter at LittleGoldMen. This episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon.